Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. I heard it get really quiet, so that must have been my cue. Tonight we'll have three songs, uh, and then Chad Judge has our reading and prayer. One more song, and then Chris has our lesson. If you would, let's stand for our first song. It's in, on the overhead only. It's How Great Is Our God. How Great Is Our God. Not splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, he trembles at his voice, Please be seated. Our next song is number 716. 716, Walking Alone at Eve. Oh, 
next song is number, it's not, there is no number. It's on overhead only. It's sanctuary. Sanctuary. After this, Chad will have our reading and prayer. Scripture reading tonight comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 6. Isaiah 53, verse 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now. Thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us the time that we've had today to come together to worship you, and to sing praises to you and hear a lesson from your word. Father, we are so thankful of the many blessings that you have given us as a congregation and as individual families. We are very blessed through you. Father, we do pray that all the ones that are not here that are traveling or at home or have health or medical issues that you'll Continue to be with them and be with the doctors. And if it's your will, that you'll restore them back to health. Father, we thank you for Chris and the lessons that he has prepared for us today, that we will apply it to our lives and go out into the community to be a shining light uh, for you. We thank you for all that you do for us, and we especially thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Our song of invitation this evening is going to be number 380, 380, just as I am. Now, if you would, let's stand again, and we'll sing number 523, 523, Our God, He is Alive. There is beyond the edge of blue.
Please be seated. Good evening. You ever seen one of those warning labels? Maybe it's on a coffee cup. You remember several years ago, McDonald's had to put uh, warning labels on their cups because somebody didn't realize that the coffee was hot. You ever read those warning labels? Maybe, maybe you've been out walking around enjoying uh, nature. About I like I've started re- riding my bike again recently, and I like looking uh, around in people's yards. And you see every now and then you'll see no trespassing signs, or you'll see uh, uh, a dog. You know the silhouette of a dog's do not enter or something like that. And you take those things pretty seriously, don't you? At least I do. These are warning labels. Well, this morning we talked about one warning label with adultery, and tonight we're talking about another warning label. We're in the midst of a series, or we're calling Lessons from Animals, and we're trying to look at some of the animals Scripture talks about and learn something from them. Tonight we're dealing with a sheep. Uh, have you noticed that God compares us quite frequently to sheep? And you got to wonder why. Why did He choose sheep? Well, Sheep come with their very own set of warning labels, don't they? So flip over uh, to the passage that Chad read for us this evening in Isaiah 53. This is one of my favorite uh, passages to read during the Lord's Supper because I think it really helps set my mind uh, on Jesus' sacrifice, the willing nature uh, of that sacrifice, but also just the... uh, all the things that was going through his head. And, and, and this one chapter kind of encapsulates a lot of Jesus' life and some of the thoughts that we should be having during the Lord's Supper, at least for me. But I love this passage. Let's start in verse 1. He says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus wasn't attractive. He wasn't a handsome man. That wasn't what brought, that wasn't what attracted people to him. In fact, In verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us Peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is one of the thoughts you need to capture as far as us being like sheep. We've all gone astray. Sheep are not all that smart. <laughs> I don't know how much time you've spent around sheep, but. Let me give you a little bit of information about sheep tonight that maybe that'll help you as you think through these passages that talk about how we are like sheep. Often, sheep will not act in their best interest. In fact, if they're in a pen and not moved, they will eat the grass all the way down to the root so that it's just a muddy field. They do not act often in their best interests. Let me give you a couple of uh, illustrations here. <clears throat> but you really don't have to look any further past Isaiah 53, verse 6. We've gone astray. We've each one chosen our own way. We've chosen rebellion over safety with God. We've chosen ourselves over Him. It's never the safe place to be, is it? He, choosing Him, is always going to be in our best interest, but often we choose something else, often anything else over him and so sheep don't often act in their best interest and we're an awful lot like that aren't we sheep have trust issues if a sheep can't see where it's going it won't go there Uh, and so often uh, I've read of shepherds having to physically take a sheep's face and move it in the direction that it wants the sheep to go because if the sheep's looking over there it will not go this way and there's nothing you can do outside of physically moving the sheep to make it go that direction it refuses to go there because it can't see where it's headed 
Are we ever like that? Often we are, aren't we? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 reminds us what faith is. And often we fall quite short of the definition of faith. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not, not a blind leap. It's never a blind leap. Faith is looking at the evidence and basing your conclusion on those evidences. Can you trust God? Yes. Why do you know? Well, because I've got faith. Oh, you're just you're blindly following him. No, I've read scripture and I can't refute it. I can't find any errors in it. I can't find any holes in it. I can't find any contradictions or mistakes in it. So I'll believe it. That's evidence. And so he says, that's what your faith is built on. Well, fast forward, look forward a couple of verses, down to Noah in verse 7. He says, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, to my knowledge it had never even rained in uh, the pre-flood world. And God's talking about there being such a great flood, Noah had to be raising his hand, what's a flood? Maybe God explained that to him then. But he's preparing for some things that he had never seen, but he knew he knew that they were going to happen. Well, why is that true? Because he had had enough background with God to know that what he says will happen, will happen. That's faith. It's not a blind leap. It's based on evidence. Often, though we have all the evidence we could wish for, we struggle with faith, don't we? Much like the sheep, we, we struggle with going places that we've never seen before, don't we? Look at, look at Abraham. He's kind of the penultimate example here in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. One day, God spoke to Abram and told him to pack up all of his belongings, all of his family, and head out. Just start walking, Abraham, and I'll tell you when to stop. And that covered several thousand miles. And Abraham, you know what he did? He did the most amazing thing. He obeyed. How? We had faith. But he's going to a place he'd never seen before. He didn't even know where that place was, but he knew something more important than where he was headed. He knew God was faithful. That's something we can rest in, isn't it? Even though we don't know where we're headed, a lot like the sheep, we don't know where we're headed. We know God's faithful. And we know that in the midst of pain and in the midst of our worlds falling apart, He's still good and He's still there and He's still right in the middle of it with us. That's faith. It's not a blind leap. It's based on evidence because I've seen Him be faithful in the past and I have no reason to believe that He won't be continue to be faithful to me in the future. In fact, he's promised to me that he will be faithful to me in the future. And so while we have trust issues like the sheep, we shouldn't. Faith doesn't have trust issues because we know, like the song says, the one who holds tomorrow. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. Sheep also need community. You remember the uh, parable Jesus tells, of course, about the, the sheep that uh, out of a hundred wandered away. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But sheep need that community because safety is only found in community for sheep. You're not safe outside of the herd, out of the flock, whatever you call a group of sheep. <laughs> They're not safe outside of that, of that community and neither are you. Outside the community of the church, you're not safe. There's too many things that can hurt us. There's too many things that can distract us. We'll talk about that in just a second. There's too many dangers outside of this community that can ensnare us. It's, not da- it's, it's too dangerous for us to be outside of the community. You know how sheep gets picked off? Lions and bears, um, wolves eat sheep. And we, we're told several stories in Scripture, especially even when you think of the life of David who was a shepherd, uh, how he fought off a, several lions and a bear to recuperate his sheep. You know how those sheep got in that predicament? They wandered away from the flock. Lions and bears, predators don't pick, they don't attack the flock of sheep, not as a whole. That would be silly. Sheep are stupid, remember? And they wander off. 
And so all the predator has to do is just watch the flock until one of them wanders away. And then he pounces. And then that sheep is his lunch. We have a predator as well, right? First Peter 5. The devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he's not going to be up front with how he tempts you, is he? Oh, he's much too sneaky for that. He's going to do everything in his power so that you don't see the temptation before it's too late. Just like the lion, just like the bear will hide behind some sort of obstacle so that the sheep doesn't see it. Even if it saw it, it wouldn't matter. But the predator is going to be very deliberate so that he's not seen. Satan does the exact same thing with our temptations, doesn't he? He's not going to make it easy for you to say no to these temptations. He's going to make it hard. He's going to tempt you in such a way that you never even see it coming until it's too late. That's why it's important to be in community, isn't it? Because often when I can't see what I'm doing, often when I can't see when I'm straying, you've already seen it. All right? Your family's seen it. Your friends have seen it. And in community, at least in this community, we call each other out on that. We hold each other accountable. It's not a fun word in our society anymore, is it? Accountability. People don't like being held accountable. God demands that we hold each other accountable. And it's for our benefit that we hold each other accountable. It's to your good that the person next door to you in your pew holds you accountable. We need community because it's the only safe place for us. Look here in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 44 through 47. The church is brand new in Acts chapter 2. Um, in fact, this is the day of Pentecost. And the verses we're reading here are just the months and, and the few short years right after the church has been founded. The church has swelled uh, is grown by leaps and bounds from the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were baptized on that day alone, but even since then, in the months and years that follow, it's just been growing and growing and growing so much because of this community, right? Because they could see the love, but they could also see the accountability that this group had among its believers. And so the church grows and God's blessing it. Um, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the interesting things that's happening in this portion of history with the church is that it's swelled to the point that people don't have houses because they uh, have left those houses to come to Passover. They didn't know anything special was going to happen that particular year, but that's the year that Jesus died. And so everything has changed now. Their worlds have been blown up, and they just stayed in Jerusalem because they heard about the gospel on the day of Pentecost, which is what most good Jewish people would do. They would stay from Passover to Pentecost because they're only 50 days apart. And so you would just stay rather than going uh, the month-long journey back to Asia Minor or wherever you're at, uh, wherever your home is. You would just stay in Jerusalem to celebrate both these festivals, because you're just going to have to come back again uh, on the day of Pentecost. Again. <clears throat> so, <coughs> sorry. So people would just stay there. But on this particular Pen Passover, everything changed. They heard that Jesus was God, that he had been crucified, that he died to save them. And the church was founded, and they didn't leave. And they still didn't leave. And they didn't leave. And finally... Those people ran out of money, and what was the church going to do? They had to take care of these people, and so they started selling everything they had. They started selling land and houses and things like that so that they could support one another. Listen to it here in Acts chapter 2, 44 through 47. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Community is important. And we're only safe inside the community. We were designed, mankind was designed to be in relationship with other people. That's why when God made Adam, he looked at him and said, it's not 
good. You need to be in relationship with someone. And so he made Eve. But when he made the church in Acts chapter 2, he made us to be together. It's safe here. Remember how a sheep gets in trouble? They wander away from the flock. We start wandering away, that's when we get in trouble. That's when Satan picks us off. You've seen that in your own life, haven't you? As you've missed some services, as you've gotten more acquainted with missing services maybe, it becomes a lot easier to do that, isn't it? And it's easier to fall. Satan's right there, crouching behind the nearest obstacle, so you can't see him to throw that latest temptation in your way to trip you up and to track you down and devour you. It's only safe here in the group because we can hold each other accountable. We can encourage each other. Sheep need community. So do we. Flip over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Sheep are easily distracted. Uh, this is one of the things that you probably get. You go back and watch a, a video of sheep walking around. Um, there's, I'll try to link it on our Facebook page this week. There's a video I was watching uh, this week on, um, on Facebook um, from New Zealand. There's like 5 million people in New Zealand and 35 million sheep. It's fun. And so they've got a lot of sheep. And so one of the things that they do at this particular school uh, that has this video, uh, they do a pet day. And so instead of the kids bringing dogs or cats, they bring sheep and goats and chickens and stuff. And so they have a pet day. But one of the things they do is so many kids bring sheep that they have a sheep race. And so the kid will stand maybe at like a, as far away as I am from the back of the auditorium, and they've got a bottle of milk. And the sheep will stand over here, and the kid's over there, and they say, go, and the person that's holding the sheep, let them go, and they run toward the kids, and they run towards their, their, go, their milk for about two seconds. And then it's like watching cats being released, and they just kind of start meandering around, and they've completely forgotten what they're there to do. They've, they've lost their purpose, haven't they? We're an awful lot like that. There's a reason he compares us to sheep. Check out what he says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are you seeking first? You've got to love that word first. Why did he put that there? Because we seek after an awful lot of things, and a lot, a lot, a lot of those things, there's nothing wrong with them, is there? Nothing wrong with, with doing well at your job. In fact, you're, you're supposed to do well at your job. Christians ought to be the best employees around, right? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having a good hobby, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having friends and watching TV or any of those things. But what are you seeking first? More than you seek anything else, what are you seeking first? He just had to put that, that little word first in there, didn't he? Make it complicated. Um, in Luke, he talks about picking up your cross daily and following after me. He demands complete dedication. He always has. He always will. That's what he demands from his people, that you seek him first. Above everything else, far and away, above everything else, you seek him. But often, we get distracted, don't we? We get distracted by work and friends and jobs and Netflix. We get distracted by a lot of different things. And we start looking an awful lot like sheep set free, walking toward their kid, who in two or three seconds immediately forget their role and their purpose. We've got a purpose here, don't we? The writer of Ecclesiastes is the ultimate sheep. For his entire life, he tries everything. He even says he didn't withhold anything from his hand. Anything he, this guy wanted, he said, I did it. Most people think the writer of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, and it very well could be. He certainly got the money to do whatever he wants to do. He certainly got the freedom and the power and the authority to do whatever he wants. And that seems to be what this writer says here, is I didn't withhold anything from myself. What would your life be like if you did that? If you, it, whatever you wanted, you just did it, right? A lot of our minds would just be blown. What, what would I do? Man, that's, that's, amazing. that's what this guy did. Everything he wanted to do, he did it. Was it immoral? 
He didn't care. He did it. Was it a good thing or a bad thing to do? He didn't care. He, he did it. Was it going to cost him money? It didn't matter. He did it. It's what he wanted to do. And so he did it. And he lived his life like that all the way until he's an old man. And do you remember what he says at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes? He looks back on his life and he says, Out of all the things that I've done, I've noticed something. All of that was foolishness. That didn't get me anywhere. In fact, if it got me anywhere, it only took me farther away from where and who I wanted to be. At the end of the day, and at the end of his life, he said something that was the most clever thing he could have ever said. That the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Sounds an awful lot like Matthew 6.33, doesn't it? You seek him before you seek anything else. And more than you seek anything else... You go after him. You've got to stop being so easily distracted. There's a reason he calls us sheep, and it's not always good. Sheep have an awful lot of negative connotations, don't they? And we've walked through a couple of those. Sheep also follow, right? You can't, you can't treat uh, any other animal that I'm aware like that in a pack, in a, in a community group. They won't do it. They won't follow, but sheep will. And so there's one of those positive things we can learn from us about being sheep. We, we follow the shepherd, and he's the one who takes care of us and protects us, and feeds us, and watches over us. Sheep have positive qualities as well. We also have some negative ones, don't we? We struggle in some respects. Flip back over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Sheep will get so close to the edge of a cliff that they'll walk right over it. You should go back and watch some YouTube videos because I find that hard to believe. And so I went and found some YouTube videos. You can watch sheep as a flock walk right over a cliff. It's amazing. They seem to, the first one, once you get it headed the right direction, will part the grass and the other ones will just follow that path right behind him. And it doesn't matter where he's going. If he goes right over a cliff, the rest of them are going to follow right behind if you don't stop them. It's the old analogy your mom used to use. Well, if, if so-and-so jumped off a cliff, would you? The sheep would say, absolutely. Let's go do it. You know? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sheep refuse to learn from their past mistakes. They will happily follow another sheep right off the cliff. And they don't learn from that sheep. And even the sheeps, the sheep that make mistakes and don't die from those mistakes, you know what they'll do? They'll go right back to it. It's kind of phenomenal. They just refuse to learn from their own mistakes. But we're an awful lot like that, aren't we? We <coughs> have the sins that we like, the ones that we enjoy, our pet sins. And guess what we do? We go back to them, don't we? we? We struggle to leave them alone. But listen to what he says here in Hebrews 12, one, how he describes those sins. They entangle us. They cling closely to us. They weigh us down. He says, you need to get rid of those things because they're hurting you. It's like trying to run a marathon with a, uh, a backpack full of rocks on your back. Why would you do that? It just makes it harder. It's hard enough as it is. We've got to learn from our past mistakes. How many times will we need to see someone fall prey to adultery before we learn from it? How many times do we need to see a drunk driver before we learn from it? How many times do we have to fall before we learn integrity is important. We've got to learn from our past mistakes. I want to close with this thought. 
what can we learn from lambs in the Bible? There's a difference between lambs and sheep, scripturally speaking. Back in Isaiah chapter 53, you may never have noticed this distinction, but I think it's an important one. And it's certainly one God has pointed out a couple of times. He does this again in Revelation as well. But you remember in verse 6, he compares us to sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Verse 7, though, he switches gears a little bit, doesn't he? He starts talking about someone else. He's not talking about us anymore. He's talking about someone else now. (coughs) The one who this passage is about. That's who he starts talking about in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What can we learn from a lamb? Well, you can learn that salvation is freely offered to you. In Revelation chapter 5, you find this exact same thought pinned again, this time by the Apostle John. He has been transported into God's throne room. He's in heaven at this point. He's been given this vision. What he sees is a scroll. And all of heaven is looking around for someone who is worthy to open the scroll, but they can't find anybody. And John is broken. Uh, He just starts weeping is what he says uh, in verse 4. He says, I wept loudly. Uh, He's he's undone. He's he's broken. Um, Because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls. One one of the elders comes over to him. He says, hey, don't cry anymore. Because look, it's the Lion of Judah. The Root of David. He's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I don't know if he pointed I kind of imagine he does because apparently John hadn't seen the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And so I'm assuming he looks over there. But what what do you think he thinks as he's shifting his gaze? The lion of the tribe of Judah. I think he I think he's thinking that there's going to be a massive lion right over there. That would make sense, wasn't wouldn't it? This this lion has conquered. It's it's the king of everything. Obviously, a representation of Jesus. But when he looks. He doesn't see a lion. In verse 6 he says, And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Jesus is the representative of the lamb here in Isaiah 53 as well as in Revelation 5. This particular lamb, though, something's different about it. He's standing as though it had been slain. Its, Its neck is cut. Blood's dripping down. That blood is what is where salvation is found. It's what is so freely offered to each one of us because he didn't open his mouth. He didn't refuse this sacrifice. In fact, he gave it willingly for each one of us so that we can be in relationship with him so that when we fall, he will come find us. So that when we're dumb, he will forgive So that when we make the same mistake time and time again, He'll search us out. That's grace. That's what you can learn from a lamb and from a sheep. We don't always make good decisions. In fact, we frequently make really terrible, awful decisions that are not in our best interest. But thankfully, we have a Savior who's made a decision that was in our best interest and not in His He made a decision that hurt him so that he could, how did Isaiah 53 put it? Heal us. By his wounds we are healed. He made a decision that heals us. And so if you need healing this morning, if you are struggling with your sins and you need those gone, the only way to make that happen is through baptism, to have your sins washed away and become a brand new creation. To make the Decisions that are in your best interest. You have to get inside of Christ. That's the first step. Maybe you've already made that decision tonight and you're struggling. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. If you have any need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing?
Good evening, church family. Chris, I'm sorry, but I, the entire time I was distracted by a great pickup line, um, I would leave the 99 to find you. Si, you can use that. Oh, know. sure. Yeah. They'll be coming at me left and right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, just a couple reminders that uh, next Sunday we'll have our, our potluck, at, um, and we'll have 1 o'clock service. And then at 5.30, Chris will be taking the church bus to, uh, to the Pumpkin House at 5.30. So please put that in your schedules. Also, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy and Dickie's Life Group, will be meeting um, Sunday as well at 5.30 at Joe and Sandy Galloway's Pond. And Saturday on the 29th, Life Group 1, Rick Keister's Life Group, will be meeting at the Keister's House at 7 o'clock. Um, also, uh, if you have a teenager's middle school and high school, uh, don't forget to sign up for the youth, the Fort Hill Youth Rally November 4th through the 5th. And also, um, please sign up for CYC if you're planning on going to that as well. Um, you have to sign up by November 27th. Uh, remember to keep those in our prayer list. Uh, remember to keep uh, Amber uh, Spitzer. Uh, Jennifer Baker, Terry Leap, as they deal with cancer, keep them in your prayers. And also uh, keep Gail Hewitt, as she has a blood clot in her leg, keep her in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our last song this evening is number 841, Sing and Be Happy, 841. If the skies above you are gray, you are really so blue. If you can't remember, sing Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us all be able to come together to worship you this evening. Dear Lord, thank you for Chris and his lesson he has presented to us this evening, Lord. Allow us to take it and apply it to our lives, Lord. Lord, be with those on the sick list, and only those you know the name of, Lord. Let us depart from here safely, and it's in your son's name. I ask this prayer. Amen.